Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. There's a class visit at the library. Me and a teacher brought their students to the library to learn about the resources, all the cool things you can do at the library. Having fun isn't hard when you've got your library card. Wednesday, January 10th, and this is Here and Now, Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, libraries face budget cuts and dwindling visitor numbers, but one librarian is trying to reverse that by spreading his infectious spirit online. And it's been more than 50 years since Americans landed on the moon, so what's another couple years? what's behind the delayed NASA launch, and why it matters. I wouldn't be surprised if another delay pops up Mm. in the schedule between now and 2027. That's coming up in a few minutes. But first, the Iowa caucuses are on Monday. In their final pitches to voters, Republican Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley debate tonight. But again, no Donald Trump. The former president and frontrunner will instead be center stage at a Fox News town hall. President Biden, meanwhile, went to another early voting state, South Carolina, to once again call Trump a threat to democracy. Yesterday, Trump's lawyers made the astonishing legal argument that a president should not be prosecuted for any crime, including, theoretically, the assassination of a political rival, unless that president's first been impeached and convicted in the Senate. What better time to bring in our political strategists? Jamal Simmons is a Democrat who recently left his communications job in the White House. Matt Makowiak is a Republican strategist based in Austin. Here's their conversation with Scott Tong and Deepa Fernandez. So we're waiting for a ruling on presidential immunity from prosecution that could come any day from the federal's appeals court in Washington. During arguments yesterday, Judge Karen Henderson joined her colleagues in expressing scepticism about Trump's claim of absolute immunity. I think it's paradoxical to say that his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal laws. So Trump is arguing that overturning an election without evidence was an official act. Matt, how does that sit with you and Republicans who are not part of the diehard MAGA movement? Yeah, look, this is an important question. This is a primary legal defense that the president and his lawyers are using. Um, It was striking to hear his lawyers argue that he could uh, assassinate a political rival and not be be, uh, prosecuted unless the House had impeached Mm. and the Senate had convicted. Um, It doesn't say that he can do whatever he wants. It just says that uh, they're they're falling uh, or they're, they're crediting the impeachment clause as requiring that first. 
It's a novel legal theory. Uh, my guess is it will not succeed. I think it will definitely not succeed at this at this court level. The question is whether the Supreme Court, how they would rule, uh, if they would take this up and how they would rule. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. this is kind of a, uh, if you want to call it, get out of jail free card, if I could use that phrase, uh, for Trump related to the federal uh, charges that he's facing in the, in the federal uh, jurisdiction. So there's a lot riding on this. Uh, I tend to think that Trump's legal argument will not uh, be successful fundamentally. Mm. And Jamal, uh, on this uh, this particular case, do you see any strong arguments for immunity that either this court or eventually the U.S. Supreme Court might explore in the rulings? For instance, the argument that if you allow criminal prosecution of a former president, it's going to open the floodgates for political payback down the road. Well, sure, that's one thing to be worried about. But I think the bigger question is having a president who acts like a king or a queen, because one day we'll have a woman president, and she will be facing the same question. And so the question I um, I think about is, do I want the president to be worried about criminal prosecution down the line? And the answer is absolutely yes. I would prefer that someone choose to take an action, even if they think it's the right action, knowing that perhaps down the line they may they may face uh, criminal prosecution. I think that will restrain. Um, an executive, and particularly someone who tends to act as a rogue like Donald Trump and can't really be trusted with the reins of power. Hmm. Well, we will await that court decision. But after the court hearing, Trump warned of bedlam if he's convicted and Biden wins. Reporters asked him what he meant. You just used the word bedlam. Will you tell your supporters now, no matter what, no violence? Yeah, hear that silence. Trump ignored the question. So to both of you, do these words just increase the likelihood of political violence? Matt, you first. Well, I think Trump's team would say that that uh, the prosecutions going after him the way they are with more than 90 charges and four different uh, cases uh, is unprecedented and, and, is, and is targeting him. On the other hand, he should not be talking this way. Um, absolutely not. Um, you know, I can't believe I have to say this, but any any political candidate for any office should be able to say that, that their supporters should never engage in violence, period. Uh, there is no need to qualify the, sta- the statement. There is no need to blame the other side or explain it or pro- provide context. So um, now that said, I mean, could, 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 uh, could there be violence, whether Trump wins or Trump loses? I think there may be violence in, on, in, in either outcome if he's the nominee uh, in, in, the, in the election in November. So I do worry mm. about that. And my guess is Jamal worries about that, too. Jamal? Yeah, I do worry about that. Um, I, I think I'm much more concerned about it coming from the right. We've already seen an example of it, right? We're not talking about a hypothetical case. We've, we've seen it. I remember January 6th, I was living in Washington, D.C., not very far from the Capitol. We were all worried about mm. how, how out of hand um, this thing might get as these mobs were roaming through the streets and with violence. So I think there's some question about that. The, 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 the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, plays a game where he tries to amp up the consequences of holding him responsible to the point where people have to choose between something that is abhorrent or letting him off the hook. And that, I think, is the game that he's playing today, which is, if you, if you choose to do this to me, my people may come for you. And if that is the um, outcome, we have to accept that risk, because and even those of us who are in the public sphere, because the alternative is that we have a rogue executive who will do anything as long as he can keep enough senators on his side Mm -hmm. to deny Mm -hmm. a conviction. Yeah. 
Let's talk about Iowa. Iowa caucus is coming up Monday. There is a debate tonight between the two main Republicans trying to gain traction against uh, frontrunner Donald Trump, uh, Nikki, Haley, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley said this about Trump in Iowa yesterday. I believe President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. As for DeSantis, he slammed Trump for not supporting strict state abortion bans. He spoke on Fox News. But, you know, the former president, Trump, who who said he was pro-life, he attacked pro-life legislation like the heartbeat bill here in Iowa and said it was a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, Matt, what do you make of these uh, these talking points? The one thing they're talking a lot less about is Donald Trump in January 6th. Sure. Um, look, you know, everyone who's run against Trump from 2016 on the Republican side from 2016 to 2024 has been um, grasping at a strategic straw to find a way to uh, attract some of his voters uh, without trying to turn off, uh, you know, turn off his supporters entirely or, or become, you know, the, the object of his wrath. Uh, and, and up till now, no one has found a way to do it. I mean, 16 candidates failed in 2016. I forget how many you've had drop out now. You've had, you know, significant figures already drop out, including the former vice president, leading Senator Tim Scott of, of South Carolina and others. Uh, and I expect you'll have one of the two uh, next, you know, second tier candidates drop out here in the next uh, five to seven days. You could see DeSantis if he finishes third drop out. Look, they're all trying to sort of criticize him in a soft way. Um, the only one that really appears to be willing to go directly at him is Chris Christie. Chris Christie's negatives are far higher than his positives. He's not going to be the nominee. Mm. He's put his entire campaign on New Hampshire. And as of now, it looks like he's preventing Haley, perhaps, from overtaking Trump in New Hampshire and making it a two-person race. So um, it's, it's, it's challenging. It is very challenging yeah. to find a strategy that can work politically. What, what does Haley have to do to, you know, I mean, obviously she's not going to win in Iowa, but what does she have to do to get a bounce going into New Hampshire, which is next week? Yeah, I mean, if you're asking me, I think it's, um, first of all, I think I think a second place finish behind Trump but ahead of DeSantis um, really gives her that head-to-head. I think you're going to see immense pressure on DeSantis to drop out. He's going to perform very poorly in New Hampshire. He's done very little there in the, at least two months. Um, and Haley will get a bump. Uh, she's going to get a bump come out of I if she finishes second. Now, what happens if she finishes third? Perhaps maybe second and third are close together. Haley has momentum, uh, and, and DeSantis has an organization with the governor, with uh, the prominent um, a, a social activist, social issues activist, Bob Vanderplatz, with the radio host Steve, Steve, radio host Steve Dace. Um, so it's a question of whether you want momentum or you want organization. Traditionally, in a caucus, you'd rather have organization. But boy, momentum helps you, particularly late uh, as people are making decisions. So... Uh, look, Haley's going to do well in New Hampshire. That's absolutely clear. She has the, the, the sitting governor. Uh, he's been predicting a victory there. The question is, mm-hmm. how much of a, a boost does she get coming out of Iowa? What happens with DeSantis? DeSantis' support base may very well go far more to Trump than it does to Haley, and that presents a long-term challenge for her. Hmm. Well, let's talk about President Biden, uh, Jamal. Uh, he's been campaigning in South Carolina. That is where Democratic Congressman James Clyburn said he's very concerned about Biden standing with black voters. Biden spoke Monday at the Charleston church where a white gunman killed nine black parishioners in 2015. Propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison. Poison that has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. It may have gone over well at Mother Emanuel Church, but the influential media personality Charlemagne the God said, quote, in 2024, it is a race between the cowards, the crooks, 
and the couch. So, Jamal, among black voters, could the couch be winning? Well, just for the record, Charlemagne said that before the president gave his speech at uh, Mm. Emmanuel um, uh, uh, Chapel AME Church, which I happen to be a member of the AME Church. (laughs) Um, But I think there is Mm. a, um, a real concern we are headed for a reckoning as a country. And I think the president is, has been talking about this since he started running. President Biden has been talking about this since he started running from Charlottesville through January 6th through um, what happened even before that. What we know is that the, what kind of country are we destined to be? Are we going to be a country that's strong enough for all of us where we can all participate and engage and we have the opportunity to succeed? Or a country where only a few get to decide that and our democratic norms and, and customs have been thrown on the ash heap because an authoritarian figure like Donald Trump has chosen to say, I am the only one who can fix the problems of the country, and people have chosen him. Listen, th- it, this is a, is a very real uh, question on the table. And what we have found in the democratic side is that when you put that question to the American people, the American people get it, and they know that they don't want to go down the path Donald Trump. And we've seen that in three consecutive elections, 2018, 2020, when Donald Trump lost, 2022, when the Democrats overperformed during a midterm. Okay. So we're, we're well, on the verge of, uh, of having this reckoning again in 2024. Political strategist Jamal Simmons, also Matt Makoviak, thanks to both of you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next... Fly me to the moon in a few years. That's the tune that NASA is singing now that America's returned to the moon. We'll have to wait. After the break, Scott speaks with an astronomer about the technical issues plaguing the Artemis mission. Stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life? Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Journalism is not rocket science until it is. NASA said yesterday it would delay its next launch to bring humans to the moon. The next trip with a crew is scheduled to slingshot around the moon in 2025, and then a lunar landing is planned for 2026. Why the delay? Technical challenges that we will now talk about with Derek Pitts. He's chief astronomer director of the Fells Planetarium at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. Derek, welcome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Let's talk about NASA's program to bring humans back to the moon. First time since the early 70s. NASA has said it is postponing the next Artemis mission until the fall of 2025, and I gather one of the main technical issues has to do with the life support system on board. Can you explain a little bit of that for the rest of us? 
Sure. In fact, there are a number of outstanding issues that NASA has to deal with around the Artemis missions back to the moon. The life support system is simply one of them, where they want to make sure that they have the life support system uh, on board the Orion 3 spacecraft working uh, exactly the way they need it to work. So that's one of the things that has to be taken care of, but there are a number of other issues uh, and technologies mm. that have yet to be developed for the Artemis missions uh, that are all required for safe flight. We've been going to the moon since, well, 1969, so for five decades. Um, so we had technology to get there and land humans uh, five decades ago. Why do we not have the technology now? That's a really great question, Scott. You know, when we had that technology in place, it was working very well to be able to get us to the moon and back safely. But when the program ended, Congress required that NASA move on to the next program. So all of that technology was scrapped. All of the development of the instrumentation and the hardware and everything, that all stopped. And the contractors then moved on to the next projects. And in fact, you know, the plans are hardly even available anymore. More broadly, Derek, there's a bit of a global moon race that has returned. Uh, what is the big picture, big picture goal of the Artemis mission? The big picture goal of the Artemis mission is to return Americans to the moon, the first person of color and the first woman to the moon, so that the United States and NASA can you know, put the flag on the moon saying that we are here ahead of any of the other spacefaring nations. Russia has not been very successful in getting people to the moon, and China is working really hard to build its space program, yeah. but we all know that they eventually will set their sights on the moon as well. Mm-hmm. You know, in years past, NASA developed technologies in-house. Now it's more of a customer paying private companies to do a lot of the hard stuff. You mentioned the Orion capsule built by Lockheed Martin. Why this different approach, and is there a risk to it? Well, we should actually qualify it a bit, Scott. First of all, NASA has been outsourcing building components for space exploration for its entire existence. In this particular instance, what we're talking about is NASA expanding that pool of private companies that will provide services and equipment for further exploration of the solar system. And the reason why is because whenever this becomes routine, NASA's not going to be able to provide, say, for example, resupply missions at the rate that resupply missions will be necessary. And at that point, hopefully, this will be the kind of thing that's easy enough to be done by a company that has the capability but doesn't have the overhead costs and administrative barriers that NASA has to deal with. And this then will facilitate faster expansion of exploration of the solar system by having other mm. independent companies with the ability to provide these services. Now, speaking of commercial partners, NASA works with private companies to send robots to the moon. The Peregrine mission saw its propulsion system fail recently. Big setback? A, a, an expected setback, let's say it that way. You know, this is very, very difficult work. The general public doesn't really know the technological challenges that are involved in this, where you have thousands of electronic and mechanical components that have to work flawlessly in the worst possible conditions. Hmm. And Peregrine, I should say Astrobotic, will learn from this how to build the next spacecraft to be more successful on future flights. Any final word, Derek, before we let you go on this new moon race? Does it get you excited to think about it? 
It really does excite me to think about our next steps in exploring the solar system, but I think there's one thing that we all have to keep in mind about exploring the solar system, is that it's not just what NASA says it might want to do, but it's also what our presidential administrations and our Congress allow NASA to do by what funding is made available. And in fact, when we look at what the possibilities are, there's still enough work yet to be done that I wouldn't be surprised if another delay in that landing of the first person of color and woman on the moon uh, pops up mm. in the schedule between now and 2027. Derek Pitts is Chief Astronomer Director of the Fells Planetarium at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. Derek, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Hope it was helpful. Coming up, not to get all Arthur the Aardvark on you, but I love my local library. I've got a few books out right now from the Chicago Public Library. They've got novels, nonfiction, musical instruction books, and a cute owl logo to top it all off. But my appreciation pales in comparison to our next guests. After the break, Deepa introduces us to an ambassador who's singing his praises for the library full-throatedly. Library whispers be damned. Your holds are ready when we return. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares Betterment's philosophy on investing. No matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth. Get started at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from Wondery. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose was it? Follow Blame It on the Fame on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Across the country, many libraries are facing an existential crisis. It started with the pandemic, when many had to close for safety reasons. Some of those libraries never reopened. Others have also succumbed to local government budget cutbacks as margins squeeze and politicians look for ways to cut costs. Even though libraries are so often a vibrant and important centrepiece of the communities they represent. And of course, there have been efforts by some right-wing organisations to censor and ban books, sometimes putting librarians in physical danger. Amidst all of this, it can be hard to find a source of hope for libraries and their hard-working staff. 
One librarian in the San Francisco Bay Area is joyfully fighting back and has accrued quite the social media following, and he's using his platform to show all the good a library can do for many people. His name is Michael Threets, and he's the supervising librarian at Solano County Library in the Bay Area, and he joins me now. Michael, welcome to Here and Now. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. So, Michael, you clearly have so much love for your job. Tell me how you see your job as a librarian. My job as a librarian is to bring people joy. It's to bring the community together to make sure that everyone in the community knows that the library is a place where they'll always belong. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter what they're going through. They can always rely on the library. If you're a kid, if you're a teenager, if you're unhoused, the library is a third space. It is a community hub. It's a place where you can go to as long as library doors are open. You call yourself a library card pusher and a book pusher. Now, it's not lost on some that you're doing this in San Francisco, a city that's seen and is seeing crises from other kinds of pushers. Books and libraries are such a beautiful alternative to drugs and street life. Is that something you're thinking about when you're making your videos? It is. You know, so I'm not in San Francisco proper. I'm very close to San Francisco. I'm about 45 minutes away. Um, but I do I do keep in mind, like, how much what you just described does impact every single community in the Bay Area. And it's something that I try to remind those people. They also belong in the library as much as anybody. So it is indeed something that I'm focused on. You mentioned that people who are welcome, uh, people who might be experiencing, you know, a mental health crisis. And some of your videos are kind of like therapy or mental health counselling. I love the video where you feature the book Letters to You, and it has affirmations like 50 reasons to stay, the world needs you here, why you matter. Tell me about making that video and why you did it. I made that video because the author of Letters to You, her name is Jazz Thornton. She's one of the biggest mental health advocates in the world. And she just is a person that I relied upon on my darkest days. So I just wanted to give back to her and also just give back to those in need who are suffering from mental health crises and remind them that they do belong, that the world is better with them in it because so many people forget that. So many people feel like they're a burden. And I just wanted people to remember that they're not a burden to librarian me and also to many other people. Have you experienced that as a librarian where you've encountered someone in the throes of some kind of mental health counseling that you've been able to sit down and tell them they matter? I have. I've actually encountered several people throughout my library career who were going through it where I'm a person who likes to kind of bother people each day, just interrupt them with a simple hello. And oftentimes people end up revealing to me what they're going through, be there as a support system until the actual professionals can arrive. That's a lot, Michael, especially as a librarian. It's quite a bit. Yeah, librarians, library workers wear so many hats so that we're not officially trained and we're, we're not mental health professionals, we're not social workers, and yet we wear those hats just because uh, we care so much about the community. We want to make sure that they keep on thriving. Mm. And a lot of that comes through in your Instagram videos. So let's switch it up here a bit and let's talk about your cat. I mean, we all know <laughs> about the cats of Instagram, but you take it to a whole new level and then... This happened. This library kid and library girl come up to me at the library desk, and the kid goes, Where's Kissing Cat Barlow? And I go, My my cat? She's at my house, probably sleeping or bothering Machine Gun Kitty. And the kid gets this look on their face and goes, But I wanted to read books to library cat. You've clearly hit a winner with your kitty. Did you get any pushback from your bosses on the read to a cat program? 
So the Read to a Cat program has not yet launched. I'm still working on it. I wish that Kissing Cat Barlow could be the library cat. She very much loves being at my home, being in my apartment, but it is something that we're getting closer and closer to. Brilliant way to get people to come into the library, (laughs) I have to say. Now, you also discovered during a school visit to the library that a kid's mom who follows you on social media and lets her kid watch your videos, well, it turns out this family calls you Afro Man. My library staff are working hard, helping them out, getting them prizes. It's a great day to be at the local library. I'm running around. I'm helping out. I come by one of our library tables. A kid points at me and goes, Afro! And I'm like, excuse me? And the kid goes, you're Afro Man. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Hello. Did you ever figure out how you felt about being called Afro Man to this kid and his family? To this day, I have not developed all of my feelings around that library kid and the library growing up calling me (laughs) Afro Man. I have come to terms with it. I don't know what I could possibly do with it for that kid, but just the fact that they know their local librarian as Afro Man, like as a different moniker, it's just something that I take to heart and just I find joy that that library kid and their growing up made that connection over that simple name that has... No relation to library work (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) I mean, do you take it maybe as being a positive role model for something as simple as proudly and joyfully wearing your hair natural? I think that's exactly what it is. I think that's why the library grown-up first called me Afro Man because the library kid's not the one who dubbed me Afro Man. It was the library grown-up who did that. And I think for them, like you just said, they saw me proudly wearing my Afro, very frizzy, all over the place. They showed their library kid the videos and were like, look at this person's Afro. Like They're just rocking their Afro. They're not letting it get to them. And this kid also had longer hair. So it was just something for them to connect to together. It's a library person who looks just like them. You know, Michael, libraries are kind of an endangered species these days. In some local communities, the first thing where the budget gets cut or the days get cut and all of a sudden your library's not opening as much. I wonder if you have thoughts on that and is trying to be a social media librarian joyfully some way to try and get people to come into the library? Like my main mission is to drive people back to the library to remember how much their local library means to them, means to their communities. Like you just said it, there are so many libraries who are either getting their budget cut or don't even have a budget at all. And the reason that these government people who run the states and counties are able to do that is because people don't notice what's going on in the library. They don't realize how awesome the library is. So that's why they can do that. So me talking about it on social media is just an attempt to stir up passion, motivation, and joy for libraries because the more people are talking about the libraries, the more that people are forced to like give more and more resources to the libraries. And I want to give a shout out to another endangered species, which is local journalism. I learned about you from reading an article about you in the San Francisco Chronicle written by one of my former colleagues, the great Julie Johnson. And it was there that I learned about the pure joy of the library through your videos. So I want to end because your videos are so uplifting with this one. There was a day where I arrived at the library and came across one of our regular unhoused library users who was crying in the parking lot. I walked up to them and I said, I'm so sorry, is there anything I can do to help? They explained that they were very cold and they just wanted to know if the library had any clothes that we could provide them. I said, I'm so sorry, the library does open soon. You can come on inside out of the elements. We just don't have any clothes to give. I went inside, set my stuff down, said, you know what? Went back out to my car, got one of my spare hoodies, and I gave it to this person who needed it. 
So, Michael, you're clearly so much more than just a librarian, as we've been talking about. As we enter this new year and people are thinking of New Year's resolutions and making changes in their lives, what's your hope for the year ahead? Michael, leave us with some hope. My hope is that people will just remember that the library is always there for them. It's the one place where you can go where you don't have to feel embarrassed, you don't have to feel shame. And I hope that people take hope in that, that they take joy in that, that the library is not Disneyland, it's not an amusement park, but it's for everyone. And you can flourish, you can thrive, you can be your best self, you can have your worst day, you can have your best day at the library. And I hope people always remember that that's what their library is there for. Library people are there for you. Library people are proud of you. And library people love you more than you'll ever know. Michael Threats, supervising librarian at Solano County Library in the Bay Area. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It means the world. That's it for us. Here and Now Anytime comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Lynn Menegon, Koyani Saxena, and Thomas Danielian. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Caleb Green and Michaela Varela. Our theme music is by Mike Moschetto, Max Liebman, and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. Thursday on Here and Now Anytime, we will have an interview with the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. So make sure you're subscribed to or following this podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss that episode. Back with you tomorrow. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast.